We are going to be reading from Joshua chapter 20 this morning. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there, and they shall not become your refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now, if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hands because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, Beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the appointed cities for for all the sons of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them, that whoever kills any person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the congregation. Good morning, y'all. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with y'all what uh, today um, and especially what I've been learning in Joshua 20. Uh, When I was asked to preach, I was nervous and excited Uh, Thankfully, I got the shortest chapter, only nine verses, uh, with, and I think maybe Bonnie and I are both glad, some of the easier names. Um, uh, (laughs) But more importantly, I'm very thankful for an opportunity to get to apply uh, these Bible study skills that Dad and Toman Springs and myself have been studying the past few years in our uh, discipleship. So again, goal today is to try to share with you what God's been teaching me in Joshua 20, and let's get to it. I'll be going basically verse by verse, but let's start out with, okay, the main point. And hopefully we can be thinking about this main point as we go throughout the verses, be tying back to this. The main idea that God is providing refuge or safety, okay, and he's doing this while maintaining both justice and grace. Okay, two parts that we know are definitely part of his character, and he's maintaining both at the same time. So we'll try to connect back to this throughout uh, the verses, and let's start by maybe reviewing some of the context where we're at. So if we think about uh, just reading this chapter, that was the first thing I did, uh, I started to notice, oh, this chapter, like so many of the other chapters in Joshua, It starts out with the main ideas or the main events in the first section, 
And then you get to the next section, which goes into good details, which we've all loved about the land. Remember all those great names, just verses and verses, like, oh boy, what do I do with this? Right, that part. And then there's some type of recap or summary at the end. So this chapter, even though its content might seem a little bit different and uh, compared to the last couple chapters section we've been in, it still follows that same thought. And speaking of those last couple chapters that we've been in, There we go. Okay. Um, uh, You notice we've been talking about dividing up the land, and we've been seeing that now this land has been divided up between now all of the tribes. We've just finished the last seven tribes, past two chapters, 18 and 19. And uh, again, went to a lot of specifics, but basically they've conquered. They now have the land. It's split up. All right. And the question that might come to our mind, you might have noticed every time you looked at a map, or as we've been talking about all these different tribes, you might have asked the question, wait, what about the Levites? When I look at my map, okay, I'm seeing, okay, them, yeah, oh yeah, oh, I've heard that name before, wait, what about those Levites, right? And so you're noticing they're not having any land, but we actually already knew that. If we go back to chapters 18 and 14 in Joshua, you might remember that the Levites were not given land, that was not their inheritance, their inheritance was the Lord. And specifically, we'll see in this chapter and next chapter, next week with my dad preaching, um, they were given specific cities called the Levite cities or Levitical cities, Um, given 48 of them, but we're just going to talk about six of them today. Um, With this, given these Levite cities, uh, something that we're also going to be seeing is that these cities were already talked about before they entered and started conquering the land. So throughout this chapter, we're going to refer back to Numbers and Deuteronomy quite a bit, which makes sense if we're going to talk about Levites, what do you know, the law came up, but as well as um, we're going to be talking about in this scenario, if we, uh, what we heard Bonnie say that, oh, we're talking about some people died, so the law is going to come up, which maybe makes sense more why we come back to Numbers and Deuteronomy. All right, so I think the last thing to talk about before we get started is that since we're going to be talking about the law, it's maybe important to us to recap the idea that our context is within the Jewish law at that time, not our modern-day U.S. law. And so when we think about the Jews at this time, or Israel, they've already had the law for about 40-plus years, and they've been conquering and divvying up the land another seven or eight years. So they've had time to try to work out and live through the law. Uh, But what's really cool now is that now that they're in the land, they're really going to be able to experience more of the law more fully now that they have the land. And again, comparing to U.S. law, some things to remember is that Jewish law, a lot of it, especially when it comes to the killing part that we're going to talk about, the justice part was family to family, kind of at that local, very small level, versus when we think U.S. law, justice is at the city or maybe the county, state, federal level, right? It's not in my hands to go avenge. Right, that kind of thing. So keep that in mind. What we're focused on um, is again Jewish law. We do have many things from the Jewish law, like innocent until proven guilty. Uh, the idea that there's different types of killings. Um, the idea of being able to mix justice and grace and mercy all together. That's very much inspired. Our U.S. law is inspired by that. Um, but still, something to keep in mind. Let's not think about how we would uh, think about this today, but how they were thinking about it. All right, so let's start diving in. 
So I'll just read verse 1. It's real quick. Get us started real small. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, which again might seem like, okay, great, let's just keep going. But something to notice is that this is a transition, okay? We just finished talking about the seven tribes and getting their inheritance. We see Joshua is still the leader and that God's going to be speaking to Israel through Joshua. In verse 2, it says, speak to the sons of Israel saying, designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. So something to note here is that this is now a quote, as in these are going to be the words of God to Israel. And notice that it's going to be all of Israel. We're not speaking to one specific tribe now, or we're not speaking to just the Levites. This is to all of Israel. And what it's talking about is these cities of refuge. Uh, We'll see that there's going to be three in the east, three in the west. If you already have your map, I'll show it up in a little bit. But if you see the map in the bulletin, you'll be able to see them. They're the red dots, three in the east, three in the west. The three in the east had already been designated by Moses back in Deuteronomy 4. Okay, but they still needed three more in the west. And when I think about this, it makes me think about, wow, once again we see in Joshua God's plan, God's sovereignty. Before they'd even gone in and conquered the land... He had already planned in the law. There are going to be these things called cities of refuge. Again, it's already well thought out. We see God's intentionality. We see he's in control. And now, again, they're going to, the Joshua and the Israel, they're going to see it come to fruition now that they're in the land. We actually have these cities of refuge now. And so just another example of God's plan and God's sovereignty um, that they're going to see play out in the moment as they're living it and we get to look back at, which I think is pretty great. Again, looking at the map here, here's the east side. Again, these were the ones uh, already determined by Moses. Here we have on the west. We'll come back to those more later on in the chapter when we talk more about the land specifically. But uh, it might help to be referencing the map as we go throughout this. So in verse 3, it says, uh, The manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there. That's one of these cities. And they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. So notice here, this is very specific. This is not murder. Okay, are just, this is very specific that it has to be accidental. Okay, that's the type of killing that we're talking about. The law already had a bunch of different uh, laws about, okay, this type of death, what do you do? That type of death, what do you do? So it's really cool to see that in the, the law that God gave them, that the type of killing was important. And that, again, also as we read through this context, keep in mind that, again, this is not murder, it's accidental. In Deuteronomy, there's an example given of, let's say, two guys went out to the forest to go chop down wood. They're going, (sighs) obviously I've never chopped down wood before, but for those who actually know what it looks like, imagine that. And so they're doing it, and uh, let's say the the axe, the iron part of the axe, the, the head of it, I think it's called, flies off, and it hits the other guy and he dies. Okay, unintentional. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were just chopping down the forest there. Um, but then the other person dies. So it's an unintentional killing. And most likely in that kind of scenario, there probably aren't a bunch of witnesses either. So now that person is an unintentional manslayer, right? Technically, they did kill someone. And the person who died, they have a next of kin, an avenger of blood, who it's their responsibility to avenge that death and to go kill the person, the manslayer. 
And especially since there's no witnesses, it'd be hard for them to know, was this unintentional or not? Did they just kind of lead them out? Oh, yeah, no one's going to be around. Gotcha. They won't find you for days and I'm already gone. So it's hard to know that, which means the manslayer, again, unintentional. Their thought might be, they're Avenger Ken, they're next of Ken, they're going to come after me. So what can they do? They can run and flee to the city of refuge. Um, so maybe, not that you have to stick with that example, but there's an example, again, some type of unintentional killing. Um, but it, as I said before, this shows us that in God's law and in the law, the type of killing mattered. And I think what that also shows us is that this is not just an issue of death. This is also showing us that God is concerned with the issue of the heart, right? Not just, oh, someone has died, therefore take the next life, okay, done, whatever. We see that God is also concerned with the issue of the heart. And as we study the Bible, we know that's true. Um, but how great that even in just, just one little snippet of the Bible looking at this, we get to see that same thing where God cares about, yes, what happened, but also the issue of the heart. And think about, again, us modern day, we see this in U.S. law as well, where we have the mens rea and the actus rea, or actu, yeah, mens rea, actus rea, that those are part of our law that we also care now, not just someone died, but why they died, right? We want to know the intent. But when you look at other civilizations back in the day, think like using Hammurabi's code, that kind of stuff, that was not common to look at the intent of why someone would kill, okay, or why someone died. So this is pretty special, and it shows us, again, God's value of life and the, the, how much weight it takes for life and death, but also that it's not just that someone died, but what, what was going on. Um, so again, I mentioned that avenger of blood. Again, it's their next of kin. It's their responsibility to go after the manslayer. So for these cities of refuge, again, they're supposed to be refuge. They're supposed to be safety. They're supposed to take in the fleeing manslayer and supposed to make sure that then the avengers who are following them do not get to them. Um, make sure that they don't harm them. Let's go into verse 4. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Again, notice here, it's saying, yes, the manslayer will not only run and flee to the city, but notice they'll also meet with the elders and state their case. Once again, we see the type of killing, the reasoning is important there, knowing the heart. Um, I also maybe because I am not always a true optimist, I was like, oh, that means not just any killer could just run there, meaning someone who actually did intend to murder someone be like, oh, well, I murdered them, but I bet I can run to a city of refuge before anyone catches me. I'll be fine. Boom. Like, no biggie, no consequences. Who cares? They're, right, you're free, no justice, that kind of stuff. But that's not how this is set up. God set it up that, nope, they have to then give their defense, explain to the elders what's going on. And so we see, again, justice is important. In verse 5, if we continue, it says, Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. Now I know this has a bunch of hymns and he's and they's and them's, so sometimes when you first read it, you're like, wait, which he is hating them? But I think if you just go through it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, but the big idea here is that the refuge, the safety, 
is including stopping the Avenger from taking the Manslayer. All right? Um, but I think what we also can try to see is that the elders are acknowledging the reasoning of the Manslayer, and they're using that reasoning with the Avenger of Blood. So the Avenger of Blood is now also hearing that reasoning. Okay? And the idea that it's an accidental killing. If we continue into verse 6, it says, He shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his own house, to the city which he fled. So, looking back, like I said, into Deuteronomy and Numbers, we read that the manslayer's immediate community was also supposed to get involved. That they're all supposed to meet with the elders of his city um, when they're trying to determine if they should uh, really save or deliver the manslayer from the hands of the avenger, uh, the avenger of blood. So when we think about this judgment, um, they really have to make the decision. The elders of the uh, cities of refuge, they have to do their work. They have to talk about this congregation. They have to meet, try to figure out all the facts, and they have to determine whether or not this was unintentional. Because again, it could be that someone just ran there thinking maybe they'll get away with it. Or I already murdered, so what's a lie? That kind of thing. So again, there's still that responsibility to have justice. Um, another cool thing about the law is that back again in that law, false witnesses, if someone's found out to be a false witness, they were going to be given the same justice for whatever they're bearing false witness on. So maybe if someone stole something, okay, you're like, maybe I'll lie. Maybe it's worth it. But with life and death things, it's like, oh, shoot, if I lie and I get caught, now I'm gone. And so what's really great is that we already see embedded in the law is a system to deter false witnesses. So hopefully it makes it easier for the congregation to be able to determine, okay, was it truly unintentional or not? And so if they are allowed to stay, then the... Um, they can stay there, they can, the manslayer in the city, they can live there, uh, they get to maybe have their family come with them. They're allowed to live. Again, they're safe within that city, and they can continue living their lives. At first, you might think, oh, great, now you just ran to run some random city, you basically have nothing, you've left all your land. It's like, is that really that great of a life? Well, this is grace. This is, oh, you don't have to die, you get to live. And it continued to say, that wait, not only do you get to live, but if the high priest dies while you're still alive, then that means you get to have grace beyond grace. You get to go back to your home, back to your land, back to your family. Again, I say grace beyond grace because you were already allowed to live, but now you also get reconciliation. Wow. I, to me, that really stuck out. And it was like, again, we see this just small snippet in the Bible where it's like, okay, here's this kind of weird scenario. It happened enough that God's like, yeah, we're going to have a law for it. But like, okay. And yet, we're still seeing God's heart of reconciliation that we see throughout the whole Bible. I just, again, seeing God's character and his plan in these small things, but connecting to the larger thing, that really struck out to me. Um, thinking about the practicality of this, high priests probably lived or died, I should say, maybe about like one generation or so. So it wouldn't be abnormal that when the high priest dies, all of Israel would think, oh, pretty soon we might expect our city of refuge, our refuge to have a lot of manslayers be leaving them and coming back home, right? That might be expected. 
which means in Avengers of Blood, thinking on their side, uh, when the high priest dies, it's also nice for them. Because now their responsibility of constantly having to be ready to avenge the family, that's gone. What a relief for them as well. Again, an extra grace that we might not even think of right away. So, again, I want to try to reiterate what we're already seeing here just in the design of this law is justice and grace, and I would say even grace beyond grace. As a side note, just looking through the grammar and what's going through, you notice we end the quote, which also means we're transitioning then to talking about not the main events and the details, but now about the land. So let's dive in to uh, verses 7 and 8. Okay, so verse 7. So they set apart Kadesh and Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. So notice here we're still talking about um, the sons of, of Israel. We're talking about the tribes, all of them. Uh, they're supposed to have these uh, three other cities, right? There are three already determined to have these three other cities. They're in that land. They can have those cities. Uh, they're supposed to be on the east side of Jordan. And if you start looking at your map, I'll show it up in a second, you'll see them there, those three cities. And you might notice, or maybe it's just me as the geometry teacher and lover of geometry and things like that, I'm like, oh, they're roughly equidistant, at least on paper, you know, a flat paper, obviously the real world is a little bit different if you're in the land. But I was like, wow, they're roughly equidistant. That seems maybe intentional. Um, and then think about, okay, they're also roughly north, middle, and south, all right? So it's like, okay, that seems to make sense. But it was also thinking about, it's like, well, okay, we know that they were told to have six cities. But what that meant was, for the tribes on that side, which had a lot of the tribe's land, there were only three cities, which meant not every tribe was going to have its own city of refuge. So when people are having to flee, they're having to perhaps leave their own tribe's land, leave maybe where they're more familiar and go into a different type of land that they might be less familiar with. But that's just part of how it's designed. We'll continue talking about how it's designed in a little bit. Um, if we look at verse 8, beyond the, east of, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben and Ramath and Gilead from the tribe of Gad uh, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. If you look at these ones, you might notice, oh, at least again I did, they're not so equidistant. It's like, okay. And they also seem to be really close to the Ammonites. And they seem to be really close over there um, to the Ammonites in the west. So I thought that was a little interesting, uh, maybe a little bit unexpected. And so I wonder again, is this intentional? And it might be. We'll come back to that, okay? But again, it looks not so quite equidistant. But what is cool that even though, again, just strictly on paper, things are like, oh, man, like, what do I do? Like, this seems like really far away, and what do I do? Well, what's great about this, as we read about in uh, Deuteronomy 19, and as the 1906 Jewish Encyclopedia states, is that most people could flee from wherever they were at to one of these six cities of refuge in about a day's travel. These cities had, uh, the roads to them were made extra wide. They were very well kept up. They had extra signage. 
so that people could easily flee and get to refuge, get to safety. Um, and so again, we see this design in that not only, yes, is there a grace option, but it was also intentionally made to also be accessible, which I think is great. So uh, if we look at verse 9, I really like verse 9, um, not only just because, whew, we got to verse 9 uh, towards the end, but I thought it was a really great recap or summary of the chapter. Verse 9 says, These were the appointed cities for all the sons of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them, that whoever kills any person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the congregation. And so, while yes, okay, we have that, we have these cities, and now they're there, and we know people can flee there, and they can be saved, I think it's interesting to note is that, once again, even though someone flees there, it doesn't mean that they still couldn't die. The justice still had to be there. Congregation had to make that decision. And if they couldn't determine, yes, it was unintentional, then that means, right, you're still going to have justice and, they're, um, and you're, they'd hand you over to the avenger of blood. And what I think is also really cool, going back to how we saw on the map that the three east cities were kind of near the Ammonites, you might notice in the beginning of uh, verse 9 that God is providing refuge to all people. This is not just the sons, the tribes of Israel, not just the Jews. It's also the Gentiles, the aliens, the sojourners, other uh, terms that are used. This is for all people. And I think, again, this is like a snapshot of where we see, yes, we know God's overall plan, and through Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, the whole world can be saved. Yet even here, back when I, when I personally think Old Testament, I maybe get too wrapped up of, yeah, that's mainly God working with the Jews and through the Jews. But how cool that this grace beyond grace is also extended to everyone, not just his people, not just the Jews. And so, yes, we're talking Joshua, but I think it's so cool that we see how he's, his love is covering all of that, um, which is great. So, speaking of things I saw, I'd like to end with some applications that I saw, some things that stuck out to me uh, through, throughout studying Joshua 20. So, one of them was that God is sovereign. And I think we've been seeing that time and time again as we study Joshua. I know, for me, that's been hit almost every single week. Like, boom, God is sovereign. We see that in his plans, both big scale and small scale. And then also, we see that God is both loving and just. And I think we see that a lot really here. It's really clear. Okay, God's two characteristics of God, it's not, well, yeah, sometimes he's loving, sometimes he's just. It's that he's both and, and at the same time, and that they're not contradictory to each other, but they play into each other. And I just think that's so beautiful. Again, we see this on the small scale, yet we see it also in how, okay, we've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, yeah, we're separated. We don't deserve to have everlasting life or to be with God. That is just. And yet, he shows grace and love, and he provided a way through Jesus. And that, so again, we see big scale, small scale. And that even on the small scale, it's already shown that it's to all people, not just to the Jews. I think this is also another example of seeing how God values life. Um, this is anything from, well, we're talking about life and death, and obviously life and death is important. We see it that they have high-stakes law, that when you kill someone, then the consequence is going to be death. And 
we see here that right that idea of life for life right but it's being combined once again with grace and love that it can save the accidental manslayer but also again i think grace beyond grace it also saves the avenger of blood that person in their family it was their responsibility if something were to happen one of their family members they had the weight of okay i have to go kill this other person that's a lot of weight even if it's justified that's a lot of weight to hold on to them or in a scenario where maybe it's harder to tell think about those two guys out in the forest there weren't maybe any um witnesses but that was determined to be maybe intentional or you know they're individual they might be like oh, i don't know was that really right did i actually kill an innocent person that type of guilt that type of weight is also relieved for the adventure of blood which i think is again an, another side of the grace being shown um and as we saw if a high priest dies or when the high priest dies all these people have the opportunity to now go home and have reconciliation not just with the land that we've been talking about but with their family and with their tribe and so again i think this connects to another thing we've seen throughout joshua is god's provision he's provided all of this in the law and so it's ready to go and especially now that they have the land and they can have these cities and all these cities and more dad will talk about next week in uh chapter 21 but just i think this chapter is pretty special with that last thing i want to say is that i think i've also been noticing sanctification coming up quite a bit as we've studied joshua and we've seen a lot of it um where we've seen the importance of having to live um our lives holy moment by moment right by faith and we saw how sometimes they didn't do that they went into the land they conquered most of it left a little bit and they're like went over here and they conquered most of it but they left them and then they didn't drive all the, all the people out and we're going to see the repercussions of that throughout history so there's that part of it like yeah don't let the little things become bigger things we heard that a few weeks ago but i think it also goes to show that even when living moment by moment and living by faith and not sinning something bad could happen an accidental killing right that wasn't because the guy sinned and he murdered him no that wasn't the intent could still be living moment by moment and yet even still trusting god for the results with all that and that then that man's has to be okay i know i didn't do this intentionally i know what i need to do i'm going to trust that god has set this up so i can run to the city of refuge i do that i get there now i have to trust god that the elders will believe me because if they don't believe me on site boom avenger comes with me they're like nope he's yours okay and then not only did they first believe me but then when they get to go and meet with the congregation figure out all the details and they make their final decision yes oh trust that still it actually holds up and they do hear the right things there aren't those false witnesses if there are they get found trusting god there again so moment by moment even when you're still living that um that life and you have been living by faith and so still trusting god for the results so i know that was a lot and a little bit of time and really i think there's a lot in this little chapter and it's been really exciting uh to study it and i want to say thank you for letting um you share what i've been learning um and please join me in prayer thank you god for providing us with your word thank you for being sovereign planning with intentionality balancing justice and love consistently throughout time in the big and small things thank you for valuing life and valuing people help us stay focused on you living in the power of your spirit moment by moment in your name amen